and really like at the core of it, you ask yourself the question, is this bringing good into the world or is it bringing chaos and evil? Hi, we are Colleen and Colleen, and we have made it our mission to spread kindness and make everyone feel like they belong. So each week we will share real life stories, motivating insights, and helpful tips that will inspire you to live a kinder, happier life. We believe that together we can make the world a much better place. Are you in? I'm in. Let's do this. Welcome to the You Fit Here podcast. Hi, guys. Thank you guys for all tuning in to another episode of You Fit Here. I'm CS. And I'm CB. And if you don't know, we started our company to spark conversations that would hopefully open our hearts and minds to live a happier, kinder life. Um, So that hasn't changed, but we are just meeting all these amazing people that are kind of helping shine light on different things on this journey that we continue to be on that we are so happy to be on. So recently, we were virtually introduced to today's guest, and I'm so excited to be talking to the relationship rabbi, aka Judy, and we'll be getting to the bottom of how she got that name, and spoiler alert, you will walk away from this episode knowing how to fight with your family in a healthy way. (laughs) So yeah. Welcome, Rabbi Judy. Welcome. It's such a pleasure to be here. We are so excited. We just love hearing all different types of just ways people think about the world. And when we heard this thing about like fighting with your family and then these relationships, and we just got to thinking that this world right now is just so... I'm different and I'm different and these are our beliefs and you bring people within their own homes and outside of that together. So we definitely wanted to have you here. Yeah. Regardless of religion, it seems like you have a way with just bringing people together. Yeah. Um, This is something that I think is important and I don't think one or the other is mutually exclusive. I think that in order to have relationships, there are going to be disagreements but it's how we do that and also what feelings are left, how we get closure, how to um, navigate different feelings and not go towards dividing, which is really the painful thing that we're saying right now, just giving up and saying, forget it. So, um, and it's interesting, the term relationship rabbi, you would think, okay, that's just all about perfect relationships. That's, it's just the opposite is that, I, the reason that I started to do so much talking about this is because it's something that I personally have spent a lot of time exploring and wondering what makes for a good relationship. I've been divorced. I have two children. Um, there's all different kinds of relationships that we have with the community. And to take a look at those relationships, you get a good mirror of who you are and not in a negative way because it's really about embracing who you are and knowing kind of what your bandwidth is, like what you really can handle and you can't. So those are the things that I try to talk to people. There's not, there's not um, do's and don'ts necessarily, but there's definitely things to look at because everyone is different. Every relationship is different. One million percent. I couldn't, I could not agree more. Well, we want to talk a lot more about all of that because everything you just said it resonates with me and I can see CB nodding as well. So, okay. But real quick, you are the founder and spiritual leader of Nakhshan. Excellent. Yes. Minyan. Minyan. 
Yes. Yeah. So yeah. Say, say it now in, okay. in the better way. <laughs> yeah. And I'll give you some context so it could be helpful. It's okay. called the Nach Shon Minion. And I was told people are going to have trouble with the word Nach Shon Minion. And so you need a good tagline. And so the tagline that we started with was, I reached the unaffiliated and the unfaffiliated. And of course, unaffiliated is a made up word, but it's for people who are want to be a part of a synagogue, mm -hmm. but they're not hearing words that are nourishing them. They're not hearing the things that make a difference in their life. And all of these ancient truths are wonderful, but if they're not, if you don't hear them when you leave and they don't remind you of behavior that you are striving for, then we have a problem. So it's so whatever happens inside that synagogue, it's really what happens after when you know that you've been moved and touched. So um, Nachshon was a biblical character, at the, and he lived at the time of Moses. And he headed one of the tribes, because there were 12 tribes that left Egypt, and he was in that whole group that left slavery onto freedom, and that right when they had escaped that night, they got to a place where there was um, the Sea of Reeds, and they couldn't get over those sea, the sea. It looked impossible. And even though Nachshon was afraid of water, Moses had his hands up there, and he was praying and praying, but it took action. And Nachshon started to walk into the water. Some say he took a leap into the water, but he walked into the water. And when God saw human beings meeting God halfway, the sea split. Now, did that really happen? Did it not? Those are questions. But the bottom line is we have to do our part halfway. And, you know, we can't just lay there and go, okay, God, take care of me. I mean, we'd like to, but we know that doesn't work. We have to do everything and then some, and finally kind of surrender. And then we might get that little moment of connection with a power greater than ourselves where things shift. And I think that really, so when I decided to do, um, to create this, I was a cantor. I'm both a rabbi and a cantor. So in the very beginning in 2004, I had outgrown a job I'd been at for eight years. And I took a leap of faith because cantors didn't start synagogues. I started, I started in my home and I thought to myself, I wonder if there's other people who are looking for what I'm looking for. Cause I thought I was alone and they started to come. Now, minion means 10. So that means they came 10 at a time, which was so interesting. And I kind of made this pact with God. I said, if they keep coming 10 at a time, I'm there. Just show me 10. And by Jewish standards, a minion is for praying. You can't say certain prayers if there aren't 10 people there. Um, and yeah, and it used to be 10 men. It's not that anymore, but they needed like a quorum. And by the way, classes that I've started, children's classes that I've started, women's groups, men's groups, all have honestly started with 10. And there's something magical about that number 10. I have to say that when 10 show up, you pay attention because we have 10 fingers and toes. We had 10 commandments. We had 10 plagues. 10 is just resonates throughout the scripture, but also it's a very interesting number. And it actually feels like a small community. And that is really what a synagogue is for. We, this isn't a religion. None of the religions can be kept up alone. We need each other, especially now. Mm -hmm. 
That's so yes. beautiful. The I'm way you learning so much already. I know. <laughs> oh, and so took all of that into the name and just oh, I love I really love that you have to meet halfway. We were talking like you about can't that just today. Sit back and wait for stuff to happen. You have to be willing to take that first step, first leap, first jump. Yeah. That's wow. so beautiful. So yes. CS gave a little of your background also, but what brought you here? What made you decide to become a cantor and a rabbi? What was the journey for you to get to this place? Well, and, and also because, correct us if we're wrong, but you were a former dancer and fitness instructor and a mother of two, as you mentioned. Yeah. So talk to my us journey, about that. Okay. So my journey has been an interesting one because if you had asked me 30 years ago or when I got out of college, you know, what do you want to do? And if you had told me I'm doing what I'm, I'm do now, I would have said, are you crazy? There's no way. No, honestly, there's no way. Um, I trained, I was training to be a professional dancer. It's my first love. I adore it. It's not a very good choice for me because when I went to really see what it was about to New York and to LA, I, and again, I loved acting. I loved musical theater. But if I really look back on it, I didn't want to listen to the people who said, oh, honey, maybe you want to teach or whatever. That used to just make me want to do it more. I didn't have the tools. I didn't have an agent. I didn't know it was a business. And so you can't move that much. You could be talented, but you it's very difficult to, um, to move. And I am not like a robust person that says, take me, take me. You know, I'm not made of that. So... Um, needless to say, there came a point, even after all that training, where I morphed it into, well, what can I do with it instead? So I realized there were a lot of people who wanted to be in shape. I knew that being in shape wasn't just an external thing. For me, it was it really kept my mind clear. It was really a mind-body-soul connection. And I loved to meditate. So and I did yoga when people didn't. So I really saw that correlation, that spiritual correlation between um, the balance of your mind, your body, and your soul. It was so obvious and resonant for me. Um, I did also delve into dream circles and a lot of spiritual work because this is another part of my um, childhood is when my I was 16, my father was murdered in Cleveland, Ohio. And I don't say that to, you know, to make you sad. I say it because it was a devastating time. I'm the youngest of five. It was a shock. We have so many things happening in our world now that I can tell you how those people feel. Because sometimes, you know, we go, oh, my God, that happened. And I lived through that. And he was a prominent lawyer in Cleveland, Ohio. To this day, we don't know why it happened. Um, and I even talk about it in my sermon this year because I, what you're saying and the conversations you're starting with me, one of the, my goals this year is to start conversations with the black community because I stayed away from it for so long because it was these young boys in the black community who murdered him and that I wanted some change in my life and we are going to make conversations happen for the children in my congregation who are bar, of bar mitzvah age. So that's, you know, like another turnaround, but what happened for me at age 16 was it just really opened me to that this world can't be all there is. And I, I became really um, just 
I ate up everything I could find on spirituality and mysticism and um, afterlife and resurrect. All, all those things were fascinating to me. And um, in the end, I remember sitting in a retreat, being asked to look for my Christ consciousness, and I didn't have one. <laughs> You know, and I just didn't really understand. And so I thought, you know what? You're Jewish. And even though you don't think Judaism really resonates with you, because I was one of those kids that got it forced on me too, why don't you go back and see if there is a spiritual part that you can connect to? And that was in my 20s. And probably my, not till I was 30 and had my children and everything and worked as a physical trainer and worked on people's bodies and taught them spiritual, a little bit of spirituality connected to their bodies and all of that. Did I really um, go towards the, my Jewish faith? And I was starting to hear a lot of people at that time talk about the spirituality of Judaism. I never knew it existed. And, you know, I thought it was very rigid. You know, we hear about Judaism and you think Orthodox, but there's so much more than that. That's only a tiny piece. So that's how I got here. And um, I found a school in Los Angeles in 2000. I also didn't have really the money or the extra time to do it. So in 2000, my ex-husband was doing well enough that I could go to school. He said, go, it's time. And so I went full time. I graduated from Cantorial School in 2004. And then um, I think I was too um, qualified for my job that I the other job that I had. So I, um, I went off on my own with Nachshon Minion. And Nachshon Minion turned into not just a place to pray, but high holidays. Then the children came. And they literally, I'm not kidding, they skipped to my house. I, I, I thought, I've never heard of children skipping to Hebrew school. <laughs> but they, they came early. And I would look at Sandra, who I worked, my executive director, I went, why are they here early? <laughs> Gosh. But it was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. And I said, bring them in. And, um, and I believe in creativity and innovation. So I wanted to meet them in a really updated, innovative, fun. Um, and yet I'm a real stickler for education. I want them to know what the Torah is and why those stories are metaphors for life. And I want them to know the music and know how to pray and know Hebrew, just not, not like a, you know, taskmaster, but I want them to know those are the things that link them to a, a really ancient um, tradition that will always be there that they can lean on through hard times. It's a, it's a real anchor. I think everything you said is just so beautiful. Colleen and I talk a lot about when you take the enjoyment out of learning, then it's just a forced thing. And a lot of us grew up that way with religious schools or school. And when you have that person or that place that makes it enjoyable where you can't get enough and you just want more and more and the way you're connecting mind, body, and soul, you already had that instilled in you as a kid and how you grew up it's teaching these kids that too. So no wonder they're skipping <laughs> and getting there early when you're probably like, my door's not open. <laughs> I'm not ready for you. I think that's awesome. It's yeah. wonderful. Kids crave that. And I think they don't even know that they crave it, but it, it sometimes just takes finding the right, the right person to link you to that, those deep 
rich traditions that will, like you said, always be there. But then also we're living in 2020. And so how can we apply, you know, kind of bridge that that gap from then to now and apply it to life? I think this is just all very beneficial. So I'm even more excited than I was. And I was very excited. Yeah. No, I, I want to say too that um, I'm really a traditionalist at heart. Like I, it's not, I don't make up a new religion. I really want to say that I use a traditional prayer book, but I breathe new life into it, you know, right. and I, and um, what seems stuck and stayed, there's a lot of room in there to, to find other ways of stepping into the prayers. And I did write two books. Um, that was kind of the transition into really becoming a cantor. And the books that I wrote were, I co-wrote with Tamar Frankel. I used to study with she's Dr. Tamar Frankel. I used to study with her and she was Orthodox. And what we did was we took the morning blessings that no one does unless you are in a, in a conservative or Orthodox community. But these are prayers that literally set up your sacred space, your body, Asher Yatsar, your mind and your soul. Once that's aligned, it says, okay, now these are the things you do. And it lists a couple of mitzvot that you do about getting out of yourself. And we, we framed it so people could use it and see it. And that was the first book. And then the second book was how to close your day in a spiritual way, which was there are these beautiful prayers that mothers used to say to their babies in, in Eastern Europe, the bedtime Shema. And you start by first gathering yourself and saying, I did a great job today. You know, like, how did I do? I did good enough. The prayer book says, if I hurt anybody's feelings and if I didn't know, please forgive me. It's the most beautiful thing. And then it says that, um, let me lay down in peace and lift me up to light and surround me with the archangels. And, uh, and then it ends and it says, and now let me step into the pupil of my eye and let me dream. And then in the morning you say, thank you, God, for putting my soul back in my body. Those things are never looked at. So we put a spotlight on those two books. I think they were, they're, they're still out and they're very intellectual oriented. So they have to be taught, but I've noticed more and more books came out. I mean, we wrote those books 20 years ago and now they're, they're ready to be taught. So, yeah. <laughs> so it was really, it's really interesting. And, I, and I've taught them to my members of my community and the children because learning is what you brought up. There's so many ways our children learn, and we're certainly faced with it with computer now. And I'm a kinesthetic learner. I need to feel it. I need to travel to Europe, and then I get it. But other than that, it's it's not, I can't understand it as well. And we have a lot of kinesthetic learners. This is really hard for kinesthetic learners. And so we just have to be sensitive to that. Yeah. I completely agree. I also dance and I teach dance. And so everything you're saying about where I can watch and do something and then learn it and repeat it, like that's ingrained in my body. I learn by doing it or experiencing it, not by reading something on a computer screen because it's hard. And we got to give these kids some credit for this time that they're in, because this is, I wouldn't be able to do it very well. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we have to, we have Sunday school every week and we're just pulling out our hair thinking scavenger hunt. How do we get them to move? How do we, you know, know, whatever. Um, 
But it's, it's, it's pushed us. And I think it's good. I think it's yeah. a good thing. And keep yeah. making them dance because they're doing it over um, Zoom. Yeah. That's so cool. Oh, my gosh. Well, I, well, I don't know a lot, a lot about the Jewish faith. CB is – her husband is Jewish. So I am learning a little bit. And um, – but – I don't know what is the percentage of female rabbis to male, but since you kind of formed and created your own way of teaching, I guess, does it even matter? Or is the fact that you are a woman in this position of importance? I mean, it is, I know, but if you don't mind, just... No, I think that one of the most interesting things right now is we're really sitting on the cusp of history. It's, it really is. I mean, certainly with COVID, okay, because that's never happened before. But in my time, I've watched Judaism completely change. And also I've battle scars from pushing my way into a man's world. When I started um, doing this, let's just see, 30 years ago, they never mentioned women in the prayer book. It was like, and that actually kept me away from Judaism for a very long time because I thought, how can I be? How can I give myself to something that doesn't even talk about women? Mm-hmm. When I met Tamar Frankel, who is Orthodox, and she had converted to Orthodoxy, I said, "Tamar, you wear a shaito, which is like a wig. You wear, um, you know, you conform to, you, you, you know, all of these, um, you know, being a woman and and five children and and all of these ways. Do you do you ever feel like you have given up your freedom?" Like, where's the modern woman in there? She said, Judy, you're missing it. Because by knowing exactly what I'm supposed to do, I have so much freedom. Sometimes having the structure gives you ultimate freedom. Mm-hmm. And what the shaitel on her head represented was actually beautiful. It represented that she's married. Because if you have long hair, you're, you, know, you, you are saying basically to the world, I'm, I'm available. And it was her way of saying... I'm just, I, my husband knows who I am and I'm for him only. Okay. That was pretty cool. And the, and a lot of the, um, giving to your children, there, there are so many Orthodox women who work, who are incredible, but they, when they, but they really have their values set. They're done on Friday. They have a fence around the things that are sacred to them. We'd all be better off if we did. Mm-hmm. So there's things I agree and disagree with, but, um, as far as women being rabbis, not very many in the conservative movement, which I grew up in the conservative movement, none in orthodoxy. Just in my lifetime, there was a surge, probably because there was a, a school that was open in California. And now it's almost um, the majority is women. Wow. Now, why? It's interesting. First of all, I think it's the best thing that ever happened because I think that there's a whole... Um, gentle. Um, I, I think that religion needs to be both kind of like a yin and yang, because mm-hmm. I actually believe God is that picture of yin and yang. It's both. Mm-hmm. And I think men, it's obvious that they're, they're, they're curt and they can't give um, certain things. And there's certain things women can't do. Um, but you need them both. The reason I think that, and it's sad, is that I don't think the money is there anymore. I think that it's a tough profession unless you're at a big synagogue and that's those that few elite that somehow are better in that situation, they can do pretty well, but it's just not, um, I think it's a financial thing. Wow. 
Interesting. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Well, good for you. I think that's amazing that you didn't see representation of yourself as this person and you paved your own path and did it anyways. And and I'm one of the few who, let's see, in 2016, I graduated from rabbinic school because I went back and that never had been before. And ever since 2016, now so many are coming in, getting getting ordained in both because big synagogues can't afford to have two clergy. You know, the the smaller ones, the big ones are always fine, but it's 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 changing because there are so many options now mm-hmm. and people are encouraged to find what really works for them. So there's a lot of choice. Yeah. That's wow. really cool. That's and amazing. I also think it's really, really cool that you were in your 30s when, because not that I like sit around worrying all day about our youth and them finding their faith, no matter what that faith may be, but it is definitely something that I pray about. And the youth minister at our church has guided me in a way that I don't know that the priest would be able to, just because it's the time and the place and just the right conversations, but it's not up to me it's going to be their journey and it's going to be me just having faith in that. And it could be when they're 50 and it could be when they're on their deathbed, but you have to just put, you know, you're doing what you can do and you're guiding them and providing the tools. And so then they will do with those tools what they will. And that's hard for me, but this is so affirming just knowing that someone, I mean, you're so successful in what you do and it's, so it's just a beautiful inspirational thing. And I want you to remember that the different traditions that you hold and repeat, it it gets ingrained in the children, because and because and there'll be times you have to let go of it. I, in order to get rally my family together, I created Shabbat late, you know, because I, my family was running in every direct direction, and I set that as a time, and probably I got them to do that for a good ten years, right? Every Friday they could go out after, but. And they brought their friends to the table and we had a little routine of finding one grateful from the week and we lit the candles and all of that. And they'd go, mom, do the short one. They <laughs> 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 just say grateful, but they did it. Well, my children are 30 and 32 now and went to college and didn't go to Hillel, didn't, weren't going to do, you know, weren't going to be involved, but it comes back because now they have such a respect for it. And they will when they have children. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think that the biggest thing is, and especially in raising children, and what I can say because my kids are on that other side and I worried all the time too, um, what you set in those years in your home right now is good. And it will stay with them and they'll remember it, even if they don't talk about it. Because um, you're good moms and they'll be proud of you. And they'll, they get more than you think. Um, yeah, no, it's really beautiful. Even if they're tough and I didn't have the easiest children, but I kept doing what I knew was right. And I stayed really consistent. And that consistency is what they yearn for. And in COVID we're stuck with it. So we might as well know it's a good thing. Right. 100%. Okay. Well, I am excited to talk about one of your most requested duties based on what, what we know, not having ever met you before, but from what we can tell is resolving family conflicts, advising people in your congregation 
and and maybe not even in your congregation. It doesn't even have to be religious um, at all. But you just have advice that you've seen work time and time again. And it's kind of like when you, I know about the love languages, and so um, those are all different. But within each language, it's kind of key points and consistent things. And so I just love that there are these things that that you can try and you can do that work. And I think our audience is probably wanting it and, and they don't even know that these things exist. I mean, they've heard them before one at a time, but not all together. So if you wouldn't mind, that sure. if we could just talk about those, those tips. I don't know if they're earth shattering, but I do want to say it takes time to just sit back and look at your family without judgment and look at it as a team. It's a team. And the one thing I think is great in T-ball and when our kids start playing baseball, the girls don't get this as much, but the boys learn teamwork. Mm -hmm. And I guess, um, and I'm still learning it all the time because you have to be willing to make mistakes. You have to do it all wrong for you to even want to figure out how to do it right. So I I just want to, if you're doing it wrong or you feel like you're doing it wrong, congratulations. Because it it's going to change now. Because I, I want you to think about it. All the rules that we have in our world only happen because bad things were happening. Right? So I mean, true. the Ten Commandments were put in place because every one of those things was happening. People were you know, doing all kinds of things. They were stealing. They were believing in other gods. That's what those... And, you know, I'm... I'm a rule breaker too. If you tell me to do something, I have that in me. So I have to really be careful when I say this. And, but I, I want to just really um, hug you and let you know that if you feel like your family's a mess or that you, you, you were reacting to everybody and you were so, you know, um, you're not acceptable because you yelled at everybody, just sit for a moment and realize, good. So now you know what you have to put in place. And now you can track back to what happened that triggered everything. When you have little kids, it's almost impossible because so much is happening so fast. And that's the gift meditation does. It slows you down. So just like in a movie, you can track it back to the explosion. Right. Wow. You know, if you, and you need the time to meditate with it. And when I say meditate, just sit back and even think, okay, if I have this team, and I know every mommy wants to do this. It's like, I want the best family ever, because I did too. And, you know, on a good day, you know. Mm-hmm. And so take that good day and say, all right, what would the perfect family look like to me? Not, you know, Ozzie and Harriet, or that's dating me, the Brady Bunch. But what do I really want to happen? And what do I want my children to know when, when they leave the nest? Mm-hmm. And they want to know that they're loved. They want to know that that um, if you fight, there is resolution. You do, there is some kind of re- resolution at some time. We don't know when that is, but that not to give up hope. There's an important thing about taking responsibility for what you do and being honest about it and not a bad person. And that they can know that they can say, let me come back to this if they feel like they're getting like off the charts. And the other hugest thing is to listen to each other. Nobody wants to listen. Yeah. And that's what my Shabbat dinner was. And I literally, I mean, this sounds, I can't believe my kids would do it. I had to give them a talking stick. 
because they wouldn't listen. And yeah. everyone's talking over everybody. But I noticed that's how everybody is at a table. Mm-hmm. And I literally made this really fun stick called the talking stick. And they learned that they can only talk when they have the talking stick. And, or you can use a talking stone. I have to do this also in classes sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, because it just, if, and I don't know, something happens when you allow like for five seconds after to just digest it. Yes. So it's hard to sl- put your family in slow motion, but a lot of the conflicts happen out of moving really fast. Do you have an example that you... Um, I mean, I could try and figure an example, but do you have an example of one of those like blow ups? It just seems like it's never going to get fixed. Could you give me an example? Well, at like a toddler, younger kid level, this is like our bedtime, which I know a lot of people say bedtime is hectic. And then I either am calm and suffer through it or I'm reactive. And then I go to bed feeling horrible about me yelling at my kids right before they went to sleep. And I feel like it's that constant struggle where I want to cuddle with my kids and have this great end of the night and we read books together. And then I end up like blowing up at them at some point because they just won't calm down. Right. Right. And I guess I just, I don't want to dread that end of the night. I want to like be prepared and happy for that time. And instead I find myself, dreading it with my husband and we're like who has to do it tonight because neither of us want to do it right right yeah and i'm sure that you've tried everything you know and hot baths exhausting them um you know reading but i you know even this is for adults too i don't know if you noticed but going right i don't know how many of you think about it before bed but usually we just like watch tv and just crash or so you know it's not we don't take a time to really close the day. Yeah. And so if you can turn your thinking around to like how you open the day mm-hmm. and there could be fighting then too, but that the ritual has to be as um, put in place as constant. Right. And so I think if you explain to them, okay, from six o'clock, as soon as we finish dinner, six o'clock to seven and like literally write it up. Okay. We have let them know that they made it from six to seven cleanup time and homework time or seven to eight, seven to seven 30, you get to watch your favorite show eight to eight they're eight o'clock, but you have to take a bath eight 30. I mean, you know, these things. And I don't think the, there's a magical way. That one is hard. Cause I don't think when you say now you have to take responsibility that they will understand that. But right. the most important part is you and your husband. Right. And I think that if you get one or two of those days, where it is a, it's smoother or ask them, say, Hey kids, you know what? We don't like how this is. How should we end the day? Yeah. it's a good idea. You know, and give them that's, I guess, where you'd get the responsibility. Mm-hmm. What could we know it's time for bed? What do you think that would help you fall asleep? Yeah. And I really like the thought of slowing that down. Like how we start the day, how we close out the day. doesn't need to be go, 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 go. And now go to bed. Well, like, and you're exhausted and he's exhausted. Yeah. So where yeah. do you take a breather? Right. And so, yeah. you know, even those stories you read, or even if you all listen to a meditation tape or a sound bath, you know, um, mm-hmm. sometimes that helps in prayer, you know? Yeah. Would, so, I mean, all those are different things. If, if they have something nice to smell, you know, um, 
I always knew that if I, I'm, I love scent, mm-hmm. but they're teddy bears. So you make their bed really, you know, um, cozy. Yeah. So those are the, those are the little things that you're fighting with. I like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And do that for yourself too. Mm-hmm. Have your bath after, you know, have, have a, a warm bath, have your bed all puffed up for you, mm-hmm. you know, have a, have a um, journal by your side. I mean, I, these, these are things that I do mm-hmm. and write down just, Hey, you know, good day. Um, I'm not going to write a list for myself tomorrow. Cause that is not helpful. Um, but how can I love myself to sleep? Oh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I love the scent thing. Yeah, it's, I don't know if you know this, but your sense of, of smell is the closest to your soul. It really oh. is. I mean, if you think about it, it's so immediate. Like mm-hmm. you smell a certain smell and you go there in Thanks. two seconds. Yep. Right? And so it is just really important because, and even what you hear, because if you hear honking and if you hear um, the TV on, be aware that those things are annoying you. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that you have to have a spa household, but those things, you know, hearing the news, you know, rouse us all up. Yeah. And think of, you know, oh, I have to be gentle with me tonight. You know, I'm going to get to bed by 10 so I can be okay. Yeah. Those are great tips. Those are all very practical things that I think everybody can do. And I think probably a lot of people can relate to the bedtime chaos. Oh, yes. really hard. Do you have an example of an issue? Yeah, Colleen, do you have maybe older? Yeah, I do. Um, So we have a rule in our house for our older two, because our younger ones don't go on sleepovers all the time, but we do one sleepover per weekend. And it is a constant argument with our oldest. He's 16. And I've gotten really a lot better at just not ignoring him, but just saying, you know what the rule is, but I, I would love, because it brings me so much anxiety and, and it's, ugh, it's, um, there are all the reasons my husband came up with the rule. And then when he shared the reasons with me, I completely agree. Um, but he just, he will fight us to the death about it. Anyway, I mean, I, I had 16 year olds. But I think also repeating back to him um, and just saying and getting curious, what, why, what is it? Why do you have to get out of the house? You know, what is it that you feel that you're missing? I'm not saying that it's going to change him because 16 year olds never want to be home and they think all everything's going on. He's missing it. Um, But I guarantee you he's on the phone with them or whatever. And just say, you know, you live in my house and we have this rule and I don't think you feel good when you aggravate me and it doesn't feel good for us. And there's two things you can do too. As we've made up this rule, I also have a rule about how we talk about it. Hmm. Sub rule. Yeah. So here's the sub rule because this is aggravating me and it makes me not want you to have any of it, but have a sub rule right. and just say, if you want that to ever change, I, this is what you need to do. Because they like to be able to follow rules that they can win at, and you, and also, be, but be curious about him. Like, and just I'll give you an example. My daughter was very rebellious. She's an artist, so she um, got tattoo a tattoo, and of course, all my friends are like, oh, she's a 
two inches of rabbit, you know, and I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> but yeah, of course. So I didn't, I didn't really care personally. I know that you can be buried in a Jewish graveyard. My ex-husband was really upset about it. So instead, what I did is I said, tell me about, you know, tell me about it. Like, tell me why, what was, why you did that and why kids like to do that. And we created a really interesting rapport. And I learned something because as an artist and as a kid who's going through a lot um, as a teenager, those kids wear their problems on their skin. That's why kids cut themselves to relieve that. Mm -hmm. And I learned a whole different piece about they are wearing their story and that's an important thing for them. And I, I it was just, it, it changed everything. So the thing that aggravates you the most, sometimes if you get curious about it and hear what they're, why they're doing, because you think, you know, but mm -hmm. you know, you have to calm down first. You, know, you got to let the reaction and, and make sure that you're through that and then have the conversation. And they, they, they're trying to tell you something. Mm -hmm. They're needing something and they don't, they can't communicate it. Right. Yeah. And especially nowadays because everything is so fast paced and busy and on to the next thing that taking the time to listen, not only to our kids, our spouses, ourselves, our family, it's, so, like you said, take five seconds and absorb it or swallow it in before you are so quick to respond, before you can really like, wait, what's the context of how they're telling me this? Why is this maybe happening instead of just like, blah, well, here's what I think about it. And I already know better, you know? Right. Yeah, that, I've seen so that, many things. That pause before mm -hmm. you do it, like you'll feel the reaction coming. That pause has so much information in it. You know, there is choice. That's like when you're strong enough to make do it wrong, <laughs> find the time, they go, oh, I could pause. So it'll happen. And in that pause is those choices. And also remembering, oh, yeah, when I was talking to Rabbi Judy, yeah, you know what? I have some choices that I know are better. And maybe if we all talk about ourselves on it, like if the team is arguing, the team doesn't get anywhere. You can go back to that team word yeah the kids will understand that yeah i love yeah, that it's so big because we feel like we are at war with the people in our home sometimes and like we're all in this together so like how can we all benefit and feel loved and feel listened to and heard but sometimes we just fail to remember that we are not opponents in life we are working together and I think the mothers get, it's the hardest for us because we work, we work on it. Mm -hmm. we're, yeah. we, we keep giving space, but you have to also give yourself space, a lot of space. And, um, and it's, it's, it's hard because sometimes you feel so alone. It's like, who can I talk to? But when I think about well, it, what's the best for the team, is it really going to work for me to start to not talk to some, to, you know, my partner? Is it really going to be, um, is that, where are we going to go? Is that, I mean, right. what, what good is that doing? There's no movement. Right. You know, just be stuck there. And, um, and you also have to be a pretty strong spiritual person to want that because most people just want what they want, what they want. Mm -hmm. So I love that team mentality. It usually kind of sobers me up when I'm, or I'm right. And, you know, cause that happens. We're just human. 
I I already know how I'm going to apply it. So oh, yay. Yeah. Because it's not like you you're losing. You know, you can go out. Um, you just have to pick one night where you stay out and I have to, you know, be in contact with their parents and I care about you and don't want you to wind up on the side of the road. But let's be a team and talk about your weekend. Like what's going on both nights? I'll help you pick what would be the better night to stay out and then what would be the better night to just hang out with friends and come home by 11 or whatever, wherever we are with yeah, them. Okay. And I'm sure like, he's like, hmm. he's been doing. I'm sure he is. And just in your mind, make some space for it because it will change. It's mm-hmm. scary. Um, and you can say no when you catch him. Right. Yeah. That's the power we have. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Out. So we are going to establish the team. I love, you know, taking responsibility for your part. CB always says, because I was like, oh my gosh, I just read this about Judy. Oh, Judy said this. She's like, I always tell you. Judaism is such a kind religion. I mean, it really, really is. And we've been talking a lot about the golden rule. And so, of course, I'm looking up the golden rule. um, Yeah, and in in your religion. And I found a lot. And I thought that was really cool that we Well, the golden rule actually comes from the teachings of our fathers, Pirkei Avod. It was in the Talmud. And it said, I mean, it's an old... You know, it's an, it's an old, old um, prescription of how to live, about putting yourself in someone else's shoes and treating them that way. It's it's, it's crucial. I just love that. that. That's like the umbrella for all religions. And so even though we might not all believe the same things, that is like I, what I hope everybody Should is be. yeah, striving to live by, which is just a cool way to kind of bring us together. Um, okay. And then pause or take a deep breath or give your mind and mouth some space before you maybe say what you will regret. (laughs) No blaming and no shaming, which I put a little note, tell me everything, but I feel like you already covered it. And I think it's really important because it's an easy thing to do. And Mm -hmm. so we have to kind of relearn the importance of not doing it. Well, very, very quickly, when you're blaming somebody, again, it's it's you. Like when you put your finger out that, yeah. oh, blame, you're really pointing back at yourself. Yeah. If you can live with that and not beat yourself up. But the other thing is shame in Judaism is so heinous. It's such a horrible thing to, it says to bring the white to somebody's face is a punishment that's, that's worse than, um, stealing and murder because you're murdering someone's character. Yeah. Wow. That's deep. Isn't that deep? And because there is so much shaming, there's so much shaming that goes on and it's, it's a stain. It's very hard to, to heal. It sticks with you for life. And that's why so many adults, if they're so willing, have to work through so much of that. And then there's so many who don't even try. They just live with this, you know, burden or stain in them that, like you said, it's murdering their character and how they think someone else thinks of them. And then in turn, how they may think of themselves because of someone else. It's yeah. Well, it's like, they'll do it. It, It'll, they will think they can't help themselves, but do it to somebody else. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. That's the whole piece unto itself, but you can heal from it. You can heal from all of this. um, And, 
that's the good news. And most of it is to be really loving and finding those people around you that are going to hold you and support you during those times. Yeah. Yeah. So in listening, making sure people are heard, everybody's heard, and then resolve and let it go completely. And I saw somewhere that you said that sincere apologies require new behavior. And I, and we both, we love that. It's so simple. And I've thought of it in a different way before, but it is so true. I can't say I'm sorry for something and, and actually be sorry and have the person feel like, okay, wow, yeah, okay, I forgive you if I'm not willing then to work on whatever it was that I needed to apologize for in the first place. I love that. That little piece that you live with that um, forgiveness. And if you might fall into the trap and do it again, but to know that someone's really resolved that they're not going to do it again is the key to building trust. And when you lose trust, it's almost impossible to build it again especially those little lies. So that's huge. If you can even think of that and, and just check, you know, kind of check on yourself. Did I, did I keep forgetting to call? Did I say, I'm sorry. And I, that's a little one, but it's a big one. And did I not call? How could I do better? Yeah. And then the other little last piece that you brought up too. And I just learned this recently this year, when you let it go, don't pick it back up. Like, you know, I was sitting there and I'd let go of all these things and I have my I have rituals around letting go for the new year, you know, and we, and we pray it and we, and we burn it and we do all these things. And then I was talking to a dear friend of mine. She said, didn't you let go of that? Like, why did you pick it back up? Yes. <laughs> it was so yes. profound to me, you know? Thank like, you. Isn't that great? Yeah. Yeah. So don't, once you give it to God or you give it to the universe, do not pick it back up. Right. Not yours anymore. Yes, I completely agree with that. It's very hard to do sometimes. <laughs> yeah. But you have to do it for yourself. Otherwise, let there just... be a little voice in you that says, wait, no, you don't get you think about something else. Yeah. You already did that. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love all of this. Oh my yeah. gosh. Uh, oh. So glad to meet you guys. You I too. Talk more. <laughs> One thing we discovered, especially this year, and we kind of talked about this in the beginning about how all of our differences pull us apart and we need to, you know, find that common ground together in humanity, especially right now. And I know you work with a lot of interfaith marriages. Mm -hmm. How do you maybe use that as an example for the world right now, politically or otherwise, that we just feel so opposite in our beliefs? How do you get people to come together and just love each other and let their differences be a bonus instead of a negative? Yeah, I was just horrified when we got to the place during COVID where people were having anger issues for people who wore masks, who didn't wear masks before the masks were, you know, like across the board, we have to wear them. We were all getting so aggravated by, you know, mixed messages. And growing up, and I'm a lot older than you, but I, we, there were a lot of rules around marriage. Like you weren't allowed to marry out of your faith. It was a, if you married out of your faith, like in the 60s, it was, if, if you married out of your faith, it was a big deal. Or especially in Judaism, you had to convert. Like there were all these things. And I, you know, I saw my sister-in-law convert. And I, um, when I started teaching conversion in, um, when, as a rabbi, I noticed, and I got to really hear the other side, like 
what what is a person's giving up? And if they're in love with somebody, um, of course they want to do everything to be part of that family. And in talking to so many converts and people who were even willing, because you you're actually not supposed to um, encourage somebody at first because it's a very big deal. Judaism takes it so seriously. But in, re in doing that, there was such a feeling that the person who didn't convert in the end felt left out. Mm -hmm. They felt left out of the club. And also, I wasn't allowed to marry non-Jews when I was at some of the traditional synagogues, which I really resented. Mm -hmm. And then I found rabbis, a whole series of rabbis who, who were doing it. And I listened to them. And I said, well, what do you do? Why do you do it? And how do you handle being ostracized by other rabbis? And one of my favorite teachers, Rabbi Stan Levy, said, because Judy, you don't know that you don't want to close the door on anybody because people come to it when they come to it. And that day that Stan said that to me, we were converting a woman who was having a baby. He said, when I first met her, she was totally not interested in becoming Jewish. And now she's pregnant and she's ready. And, and I found out that was the truth. Half of the people that I married that weren't that I didn't force came to me later because they came. It was something they have different timing. So that's what I so that was. And then one of the big things that a lot of people say is, oh, the child won't know what they are. And they'll, you know, you're going to leave it to them. And there was all of this. You know what? They know what they are. I have children who come to me. I didn't really want to teach children, especially bar mitzvah students at first. It was not my I want to teach adults. So the bar mitzvah kids came. But they were, they were serious. They they brought their parents back to synagogue. Or if the yeah. parents, one was Jewish, one wasn't, they bring them back. So it was this great opportunity to have people revisit what they didn't like, where their values were the same. Did they know that the Bible, the Torah scroll, uh, the Pentateuch, it's the same thing, that every monotheist stood at Mount Sinai. We were all there. So let's all come together and realize we all know each other's scripture. Mm -hmm. And that's a huge link because in that scripture is the values, mitzvot, how to treat each other, the golden rule, all that good stuff, not splitting apart from your community. It's all in there. And Jesus was another teacher of it, you know, and there, and in, in, in Islam, there's Muhammad was another teacher of it, but it, the roots are the same. And that's where I try to, what I always try to say is that it's about bringing goodness into the world. And really, like at the core of it, you ask yourself the question, is this bringing good into the world or is it bringing chaos and evil? Yes. Wow. That's is, that, is that fight going to bring more fights and chaos or is, is it going to mend something? When you look at it that way, it's different. Yeah. I'm going to like play that on repeat. Oh, just that, that. Well, a lot of, I, I want to have a whole episode about letting it go. Great. I just think it would benefit so many people because it's easy to say, but then I feel like just things pop up all the time that it's like, well, I thought we were, we've moved on from that. And, and, if, and you could say, well, can we handle that? And I also want to say, you have to let go a lot. Like it doesn't go away in one shot. Yeah. You know, I have my little, like I have my little letting go box. I literally let go. Okay. I let this go. Right. You know, just I'll do, I'm a ritualist. I happen to love rituals and I have my little God box that I have to just put that in to get it off of me. And That's awesome. <laughs> well, when it really gets bad, you know, when you're about to go to sleep at night and something's ruminating, mm -hmm. you've got to get it off of you. 
Yeah. And so I'll try anything. Um, and yeah, remember that you may have let go, you let go of some of it and not to get on yourself. Okay. So there's some more. Mm-hmm. And right. Mm-hmm. right. I'll do it again. So, so many, I, this, I know it has I think to end. I know so but. many of these tips are so applicable within our four walls of our homes and just in our world, mm-hmm. all of the tips on fighting, becoming a team, like everyone in the world, we're all a part of the human race. So in that we can all be a team together. So like, are we bringing goodness to the team? Are we taking responsibility? All these tips. I hope everyone who listens finds a way to apply this in their homes and outside of their homes for sure. Yeah. Fighting with your family and beyond, because like you said, I mean, to get to good places, sometimes it's going to require a battle of sorts. I don't know. No, it's remember how I started. I said, if you're fighting good, like if it's yeah. uncomfortable, good, because now it doesn't have to be bad anymore. Right. You know, yeah. Yeah. you have to be pushed to that edge of the water to jump in. Yeah. I so love that. Not to get on your case for it. Go, oh, oh, I'm at the edge. Okay. So what? So what do I do now? Oh, that was a great suggestion. I'll try this much. Yeah. Just a mm-hmm. little bit. Yeah. yeah. Increments. Tiny, tiny increments. Judy. That's so beautiful. Judy, thank you so much. I just love with you today. Oh, well, we've loved this so much. Where can people learn more about you and follow along? And I know the books that you wrote need to be taught, but if someone is interested, can find them and is interested, tell us all about everything. Well, I think that with um, Zoom these days, I really would love to spread a broader net to find people like, even like yourselves, your age. Cause I, and, and I'd like to spread, you know, the net even wider for anybody who's interested in having, in learning how to connect scripture and I Jewish or not Jewish, how to connect little tidbits of scripture or of, uh, you know, to, to talk about God. How do we look at God these days? Um, sometimes I'll tell people, God, just think of God as good orderly direction. Um, sometimes just think of God as goodness, you know, because clearly we're going to be facing dark and light all the time, but we want to move in that direction more. So um, it's www.nachshon, N-A-C-H-S-H-O-N, M-I-N-Y-A-N dot org. And if you look on our website, you'll see what we do. And if you are interested, tell us if you liked what I said and you want to hear more, I would love to have forums of us talking because we, we need each other more than ever. And so I'd like to extend my community out to all of our little squares here in Zoom because I want to hear from you. I'm that is that down. We need each other more than ever. I love that. We will go ahead and link everything yeah all of that in the show notes and on the blog too so then that way people can just quickly click and i think that that you're doing because you're making such a difference you really are and you are too thank you for adding so much goodness and light and love to our world yes